0: This is the Dynamics 365 podcast, focusing on the ingredients of a successful Dynamics 365 practice. Your host is business solution MVP Mark Smith, otherwise known as NZ365Guy. This is a special two-part episode with Scott Ward on digital transformation. Part one was published two weeks ago. You can find it at nz365guy.com forward slash podcast. For more information on this interview, show notes, feedback, and resources mentioned, or to suggest a guest for future episodes, please go to nz365guy.com forward slash podcast. Thanks to our Nordic for sponsoring the Dynamics 365 Practice Podcast iNorgic is a leading Microsoft Gold Dynamics CRM ISV, delivering best-in-class Dynamics 365 customer engagement solutions, as well as cost-effective and high-quality offshore Dynamics CRM programming services. iNorgic's innovative solution portfolio includes Maplytics, a premier map visualization, routing and jIRA analytics app for Dynamics 365 customer engagement, iNolink that offers a seamless integration between QuickBooks and Dynamics 365 customer engagement and other productivity apps like User Adoption Monitor, click to clone and click to export uh, For years, Microsoft partners, and Microsoft for that matter, have been selling software products. What should partners be doing differently to engage customers and how can digital transformation help partners win more business? I actually
1: think the opportunity for partners to commercialise uh, today is much greater than it has been before, but it does mean working differently. Uh, what what I'm seeing or the, the, the method that – so we're, we're a bit of an anomaly. We were more of an anomaly uh, when we started business seven years ago in that we were uh, a non-technical partner. Right, So we sell services around the implementation the, and uh, the adoption of technologies as opposed to the technologies themselves. So, in taking this service based approach, what it does is it pushes you to engage the customer in a way that is different. So, I talked about the mode one piece before, and, and essentially the way that we, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'd like to answer your question by talking about how we work and then looping it back to how I believe partners, uh, where the opportunity exists for partners. Um, we, so, what we do when we come into organizations around their mode one initiatives is we look to connect their audience uh, using social. Uh, we build this marketplace of conversation where there's, you know, ideas start to bubble to the surface. Uh, in the second horizon, what we look to do is, is, um, and, and we've got particular metrics for that first horizon. Second horizon, uh, we look to how do we capture those ideas effectively? How do we route them in front of the right eyeballs? And then how do you differentiate a good idea from a great idea? And so that we build that out, that governance piece, that capture mechanism all within the, the second horizon. We go to the third horizon it's suddenly we've got all these ideas. We've got to figure out how do we start to execute against them, and we don't know initially, you know, what we're going to need for that until we've gone through the, the second horizon. So um, now, um, first horizon very clear. Um, some of the some of the activities for the second horizon come out of the learnings of the first, uh, and then again for the third, um, that's built from the learnings of the first and the second. So that's that's how we snowball. Um, digital capability within organizations. Now, what that actually means for us as a business, it means that we are we're then working very high up in the in the innovation funnel of those organizations. So, we're not waiting to the point in time where they've they know they need a solution, they've searched online and we're in there as part of a bidding process with seven others. We're we're right at the at the at the inception point. Uh, and we're right at the filter point where we're helping them assess the viability and the impact that these ideas can have. So for me, learning uh, learning how to manage customers because customers can't do it for themselves. That they, they need help, right? They need help in evolving their innovation muscle. Uh, and so by by helping engage customers in that way, I mean not only are we at that same time looking at their plumbing and and, and or their technology plumbing and, and and taking that to the cloud and things like that. You're then, um, you're then helping them extrapolate out the value that technology can provide them. So you, you've, got, you've got two bites of the cherry, if you like, the, the, the plumbing piece as well as the, as the creative innovatives piece. Now, that, that's, a, that's a mode one service offering. Now, to transition to the point where innovation is just dripping from the DNA of your business, like if you've got the right leadership team that throw the right skills and governance and capabilities behind it, that's still a three-year journey, right? So that's a three-year play that you're going to be engaging that customer for as you transition them through that, that process. Uh, and I think there's huge value in that. So it's, there's a service component, there's a technical component, there's a, a, an innovative uh, sort of experimentation and lab-type component, all of which can be uh, packaged up into something that is very compelling and very valuable to a customer. Now, if you if you then extrapolate that out into the mode two, which is the reimagining piece, there's a huge data play there around helping helping these organisations grab additional insight around the need, the context of the need that they, they actually satisfy, and then looking at how you can connect that back into new combinations of value. And so that's a there's a there's opportunities for design thinking there for lean startup. Uh, you can and you can use design thinking and lean startup down both modes, but you're but you're then you've actually got access then to you know you're no longer limited by the amount of money that the IT team have been given. You're engaging the business and they're then incentivized to release components of their budget into the into the programs that they see they're going to drive value from. So not only does it allow you to lift yourself away from just this one component of the business, but you're working across the whole business, you've got access to the budgets. Uh, but you' you've got this this partnering model. it's a, it's a true it's a true partnership. It's, so you, you shift from being a solution provider uh, that, that offers a point in time piece of value within a context of, of one specific function into you become a, um, you become their concierge if you like, uh, of digital change and and, strategy. Uh,
0: and what you're describing there, I'd find it hard-pressed to find many partners that could fit the bill. Uh, And what are you referring to? They're they're software engineers. They are uh, enterprise architects. They are, uh, you know, very technical, very, you know, we can build something to solve this problem where you're talking about a lot of uh, soft skills, a lot of skills around, you know, long term journey mapping, engagement, that type of thing. I'd be surprised you'd find a Microsoft partner or too many Microsoft partners that that have that. So if they're serious about the longevity and making their own pivot as a business, what type of skills are they going to have to either recruit, bring into their business or develop um, to really uh, go through their own transformation, if you like, and to, to you know, the capsule of what's next and, and what a uh, a typical partner looks like?
1: So the number one skill that I see is missing within the Microsoft partner ecosystem is the ability to talk to business value. Uh, and and by that, I mean, we you know, we, we talk about productivity, uh, we talk about collaboration, we talk about, you know, all these sorts of things, but but at the end of the day, who really cares about any of that, right? None of it matters unless you can actually link it back to a business outcome. So unless you can tell me how uh, these systems of whatever they are are going to either... Increase my revenue, or allow me to keep more money in the bank, so increase my profit. I don't really care. Or the other, the other, the other third thing that you can bring it back to is is the longevity or the sustainability of the business as a whole. So it's 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 a sort of uh, legacy uh, revenue and profit. Those are the three main for me. They're the three main sort of indicators of business revenues, so, so business values. So unless you can marry it back to one of those things, it's you've got to question why you're doing it. So for me. The ability to talk that language is the thing that's missing. Uh, but then underneath that, you've then got uh, the – it's kind of the business consult- consulting skill set, uh, talking, like I said, about value mapping and those things. Uh, and then it's things like design thinking and lean startup. Uh, so those, I think those kind of as a package uh, are, are kind of the – the lego blocks that are missing from the existing partner kit it's really fascinating when, when i started this business uh, a number of years ago uh, and we started engaging customers in this way uh, we really struggled to find partners that would actually work in this way so i came from a, a large consulting business um where we'd invested heavily in design thinking and we would we'd set up you know this is eight nine years ago now um Entire floors of buildings just design, just set up, dedicated to design thinking spaces, and and that for me was you know, that's indicative of a, of a business that is committed to it. Is that you've got these dedicated spaces. Um, when I uh, when I started engaging my customers in this way, they were uh, Microsoft uh, sort of orientated businesses, so we naturally went to the partner community, and, and we really struggled to find anybody that could work in the way that we wanted them to. Um, Everyone was trying to sell us these, these massive, sort of, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of packages. Uh, so it, it took us a while to find uh, a provider that could actually um, chunk it down into, uh, like, so we could have an in, a minimal viable product or, or, you know, build these proof of concepts that were, were done over a 30 day sprint and, and were limited in functionality but managed to illustrate or prove or disprove a hypothesis. And that's kind of the lean startup piece. Um, so, and I think what, what's really fascinating is uh, is, is, is that the, the need to be able to work in these sprints is is really really important. Uh, anchored off off design thinking and then progressing into lean startup is, is kind of what we need. To, is 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 kind of the main methodologies that underpin it. But you're charging in um, say this thirty day chunk, and then there's a, a decision point. That the, the C-suite then make to un- unlock the next bit of funding. There's another 30-day sprint and then there's another decision point. And um, these, the ability to work in that way and report value back to the C-suite, uh, to give them the assurance that their money is not being wasted is, is really important. Um, when I, when I first, my very first, uh, doing this, like, um, We're doing, like, we had the, when I'm talking about this stuff, I'm talking, I'm assuming that the plumbing is taken care of, right? So they're going to the cloud, that sort of stuff. What I'm talking about is that sort of innovative piece that sits on top. Uh, we went to the, we got the, the C-suite around the table, uh, and we said we wanted $300,000 to spend on a project that was highly ambiguous and that was, you should, people literally were standing up around the table yelling. It was, it was a big lesson. So what I've learned is, learn how to chunk it down into those 30-day sprints. So that $300,000, for instance. Some of it might be uh, our services that we provide, um, but but there's an X amount, say we're going to use, say, $30,000 to, to actually prove this concept over the first 30 days, at which point we're going to report back and we're going to ask you to unlock the next tranche of funding for the next 30-day sprint based on the value that we generate in this 30-day. But what we say to them is that that $30,000 might be our services, but it might also be the allocation of services that you've already got inside the business, so to unlock them and allow them to work on our project. If you take that approach, you not only are you unlocking more money than than, um, than sort of like the, this because those old school big projects have gone, but this is kind of how they've shifted. Um, not only are you able to unlock more money, but you're able to do it in a way that uh, it's in collaboration with the senior executive team. Uh, because they they get highly nervous at throwing large amounts of money behind projects that are ambiguous, and for good reason
0: so is there any training programs that partners can uh, get up to speed uh, and start the transition themselves
1: yeah look there's a few so we're, i mean we're actually uh, we've built a whole series of models uh, around this stuff, and we're actually uh, opening those up now to partners, and we're going to be running uh, a couple of two day programs in the new year around those. Uh, other than that, I think, uh, the, the, there's, there's some training programs. So some universities like Stanford are obviously doing things like design thinking. Uh, there's, uh, stuff around, there's heaps of stuff around agile methodologies and lean startup that people can do. Um, the stuff that, The the way that I educate myself, so aside from the doing with businesses, so we're we're really lucky we get to sit across multiple businesses and see what works and all that stuff and then aggregate that into a practice that we can take forward, which is why we're we're putting that out to the Microsoft partner community because we want them to succeed. But the other things that we do for our own education is we mentor startups. So I work with uh, CSIROs on incubator program. Uh, For my money, it is the best... Incubator program in Australia. So those that don't know CSIRO, it's a, it's government funded in Australia and they're, they're like, they're the most uber geeks you've ever met, right? They're, they're brilliant people that can, that are, that are specialists on a, you know, type of fungus that grows on a, on a seaweed, um, in the middle of the ocean somewhere and it's not found anywhere else. But you've got this world expert on that. Um, and so they're looking at how do they – and the unique problem they have is that they're this, they're this solution in search of a problem. So they're, they're looking at how do they commercialize the stuff that they know. And so we, we, we mentor them for free. Uh, but for us, what we get out of it is that, that we're making sure that we're staying close to current thought uh, and, and emerging sort of uh, like the, at the cutting edge of what's going in, in all sorts of industries – but also, it just keeps us in touch with um, like what's working in the in the commercialization space. It's the pointy end of the market. It also gives us exposure to the startups that we want to work with and the research institutes that we want to work with. So the other thing that I do is I sit on a um, on a as an industry advisor to a University of Sydney uh, research panel. So we've got a digital and disruption research panel, uh, and I'm uh, but the benefits of that is that we get all these PhD students and professors from all around the world coming and talking to us about the latest research and insights. So, for, for yes, there are courses that you can do that will bring you up to speed on sort of the major clunky bits. There's uh, also an onus on us to be proactive in our own education from here on.
0: So what does a typical engagement look like for a company that wants to – begin or get underway uh, in their digital uh, transformation journey. So are we talking about a, a technical provider here that's that's looking to provide that as a service to a customer no as in let's say you're a customer and you want to start the journey uh, what what would a typical engagement look like uh, uh, you know to get on that journey to, to get things going to start a transformation within the business?
1: right great question. So the the very 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 first step is to get the senior leadership team on the same page. Uh, what you find within organisations is everyone has this idea of what digital transformation is, uh, and if you get if you get everyone to write it down or define it, all those ideas are different, which has the which has the the run on implication that, that you end up uh, there's a lot of activity but very little actually happening. So the really the very first step is to get your senior leadership on the same team. Or, uh, on the same page around what is digital transformation, and why should we care about this? The next bit about digital transformation is uh, or the the next activity they need to do is this is kind of this navel gazing exercise where uh, and it's asking yourself, who are we? Uh, what are we really good at that nobody else is good at? Uh, what are the trends that we see that are impacting our industry that we think is going to be relevant? Uh, and where do we want to be in the future, given all of this information? So once you've aggregated all that awareness of who we are and what's going on in the world around us, uh, setting an expect uh, an intent around you know what do we aspire to be, what is our what is it that that is going to motivate us to get up in the morning every single day, right? Now once you've done that navel gazing piece and and you've set that aspiration, what that then allows you to do is go okay. So what are the technologies that we think are going to be important to get there? And so so a lot of organisations sort of fall into this mistake of not setting that aspiration at first, and so then they, they they try to invest in all the tech trends that are happening concurrently, and you just can't do that, right? Um, so so having that aspiration actually provides the primary filter that we can then give context to the technologies that we think we need to invest in. So we, we then make big bets in terms of our future, in terms of, these technologies we're going to invest in. Um, you know, these are the trends that we're going to start to back. Um, the the and that that is your anchor piece or your keystone piece for all of the mode one and mode two initiatives that we talked about before. But the other thing that it allows you to do in looking at your mode one piece, it suddenly allows you to to start to filter the activities that you're doing today that are no longer relevant to your future. And those become your pressing. So if it's if it's sort of if they're not adding value, these are the things that you can actually start to look at stop doing. So if you can start to decommission those activities in your existing business, what you find is it starts to unlock the the money, the capability, and the time to start to drive uh, other initiatives. So because one of the, the other traps of when you start to get into this is we just try and put more on top of what we're already doing, and that's guaranteed death, right? We're already busy. We don't have bandwidth to do more, so something has to give. And, and what I'm seeing is the stop doing. Actually, is um, it sounds really simple, uh, but actually, it's one of the hardest things to do. But it's actually one of the biggest, single most value adding activities that you can do to give yourself space and time to actually get to the things that are important. And that's that's kind of that's that's the starting point and And so it's, it's that it's that aspiration piece. It's, it's the awareness, it's placing those big bets, and then it's prioritizing existing load against that aspiration. Uh,
0: I've got a quote here from George Westerman. He's a principal research scientist with MIT, and he said, when digital transformation is done right, it's like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. And when done wrong, all you have is a really fast caterpillar. Now, when we talked about the two modes um, before, I see he's really referring to businesses that see digital as just automating things more making things faster that type of thing yeah. but when we look at the transformation it's really about the scape capsule that you're talking about or the the capsule to what's next how do businesses really start to focus on that what next piece after if you like they've automated everything to the to the nth degree
1: i actually so there's a couple of things. You need to do mode one and mode two concurrently. There's a, there's a trap where people try and do mode one first, and when that's done, then we'll do mode two, right? Now, in, in approach to mode two, where that starts is, um, is about reaching deep into that customer need as you possibly can. And there's two ways that we do that. One is in aggregating the data that exists around that engagement. And, and it's not just our data, but any other data that we can get that supplements that. Um, to, to grab a more granular awareness of the context in which that need arises, right? It's the context that gives value to the data. Um. So that's 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 the first part of it. But the issue the, the issue with data or the limitation of data is that it only points to what happened historically. Uh, the other part that we need to do is is this in, is, is things like design thinking, which is an impartial observation. So it's it's going in and looking at uh, at that context. From scratch, like without the the biases of historical thinking and, and legacy systems, right? So it's they're two sides of the same coin. So uh, so understanding that, what you then find is the lessons and the insights that you get from that uh, do two things, right? Uh, or uh, do heaps of things, but but the the two that are going to be the most immediately sort of um, applicable is that those lessons often can then be lifted into your existing business to start to shape the business that you're running today. Now, that can mean shaping things like the KPIs that we measure. It can be a, a, the way that we bundle our products. It can be a way that we engage our customers in terms of marketing stuff. Like There's all sorts of lessons and learning that flow out of that that we can use today. But the other thing that it does is that that insight gives context to what are the nuggets of gold that exist within our current business And then allows us to release those nuggets into our future business, right? And so, uh, and and so, you know, we talked about, you know, GE's, um, systems of intelligence down its manufacturing line is, is kind of been intrinsic to its competitive advantage. So being able to release those experts or that, that capability into starting to form what your future business looks like. Um, and that's, and that's how we start to build this relationship between the two modes over time, right? And that's why if you, if you, Jump in and you go all of mode one. You're automating everything. Everything's to the cloud. It's highly likely that you're spending a your fortune on things that don't matter anymore. Um, all you all you want to be able to do is build the the APIs or the the integration layer that allows you to access the gold within your business effectively and bring that forward. So there's I was talking to a client the other day who has this massive database that that is a real pain in the ass that they want to transition from right into SQL and we're talking about like they're, they're stuck on. Well, how do we bring all of this data across? And my point to them was, actually, you don't need to bring all the data across. You only need to bring the data that you're currently using across, and the data that relates to excellence over time. That's that's the that's the that's the primary filter again, and that's why you know we talked about before about um, you know what's missing in the in the partner community, and it's the business, it's the ability to use the filter of business value. That's been missing. So if you can, if if we try and bring every every piece of data across, we're going to be there forever, right? But but if we can if we can narrow it down to the data we're using today uh, and any data that relates to uh, excellence over time, and we we prioritize those data things, suddenly we've chunked down the amount of work that we need to do. We've enabled our business sooner rather than later, uh, and and we can then. We can then start to use that data or, or those those chunks, those nuggets of gold in new contexts. So we don't necessarily want to bring up everything, all the dirt. We just want the gold, uh, and that's 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 how that 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 customer anchoring piece in mode two um, gives us an orientation that drives our our not only our future business but but the way that we transition our existing business into that new environment.
0: I have another quote here, and this is from John Hagel, the 30s co-chairman of Deloitte's Center for Edge Leadership. And he says, most of the executives I talk to are very much focused on digital, largely as a way to do more of the same, just more efficiently quickly, cost-effectively, but I don't see a lot of evidence of fundamentally stepping back and rethinking at a basic level what business are we really in. How do you have those conversations when you see that in a business where people are, are thinking they are going digital because they're doing that first part but not addressing the what business are we really in uh, next year, five years, ten years down the line? I'm
1: a big fan of John.
0: Um so,
1: yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good point, and I, I, I completely agree. What I'm seeing in the market is that the organizations, as I mentioned, touched on it before, the organizations that identify themselves with the need they service as opposed to the product or service they produce are the ones that are the most well-positioned to handle this disruption, whereas and conversely, those companies that, that associate themselves with the the. Va- uh, Sort of the value they create or the product they produce, as opposed to the need they service, are the ones that are the most likely to be disrupted. And a great example of that is Kodak, right? They saw themselves as a as a as, a, as been in the film business, but had they seen themselves as being in the memory capture business, then it, uh, it it might be a different story, right? So, and and they're right. So, the, one of the hardest things to do is to shake that that preconception or that misconception about you know. Why they're actually in business? Because they're not in business to produce film. They're, they're in, in business to actually satisfy the need of that customer, which in the Kodak context is, is memory capture. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of um, that 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 shift. It, and there's there's also a reason why you know Uber wasn't created by people from the taxi industry, and it's because it's the the and the same with Airbnb it didn't come out of the hotel industry. In fact, they were designers, right? It's because we're so fixated and married into these old business models uh, that, and we're experts in those business models. So for us to give up uh, or to to shift away from that business model means giving up our own hard-fought knowledge and our expertise. And and as as you know, Mark, you know in the in the the startup sector, everyone's very married into their own ideas, right? It's kind of the same in the corporate space, and we're married in, and we've got this. These our identity is usually anchored into. Uh, our proficiency or our mastery of these old business models. So, so shifting leaders from that old method of thinking into uh, this unstructured way of thinking is, is, is really tough. And that's why though, at mode two, you know, we're beginning with, um, potentially data scientists and design thinkers. These are people that are not necessarily connected into the traditional business at all. So we're, we're giving them, we're liberating them from the expectation and the, the old thinking. And we're asking them to go out and to assess, like, what is the need that we're actually driving here? Uh, and it's 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 allowing that to occur in a way that is impartial, that is really, really important.
0: Excellent. So to wrap up, um, what actions or recommendations do you have for our listeners uh, if they want to get up to Smead, learn more about digital transformation, even assess whether that's a career path for them?
1: Yeah, look. It's a, it's a really tricky question because actually I think if you really want to get into digital transformation and you're coming from a technical background, uh, my advice would be to probably start a business uh, because being aware that if, if you do have a technical background, the thing that you're probably missing is business skills. Now, uh, when I talk to people that have spent their life in the corporate world, every single one of them will tell you that they, can, they have the capability of starting their own business. But there's a there's a vast Discrepancy between knowing what needs to be done in a business and being able to actually deliver it. So, if you I mean if you, and this is kind of a, it's a bit of a radical suggestion, um, but if you want to get really good at, uh, at at transitioning businesses, then you need to know uh, to have lived or to experience firsthand what it's like to go hungry if your business isn't firing, uh, and then what it's like to deliver when you get discovered and something everybody wants your time and, you know, you, you've got to balance off your ability to deliver against what could be a degradation in quality, which is then against your brand. So learning how to – I personally believe there's no way of learning those things without actually doing them. Um, but if you if you don't want to be that extreme and you want to learn how to uh, start to, to take businesses forward in that way, then I would look at doing – I'd read widely firstly, uh, but then I'd look at doing courses around uh, – Design thinking and lean startup, and I'd look at how you can apply those in your existing environment.
0: Okay, to wrap up, we've got some quick fire questions for you. Uh, so I'll, I'll wrap them off quickly, and if you can just come back with those answers. What books do you recommend most to people and why? I read
1: behavioral books. Uh, I love, and I also read, um, like, I, I love, I love sort of reading across different sort of, uh, religions and things like that. So I, and, uh, like so I I like reading about, um, yeah, anything that actually points to base human behaviours. Because I think in this this world of extraordinary change, the one thing that's not changing is us. So if you understand uh, the human operating system, then uh, you can give any new con- uh, you can give any new technology context. Oh, so if you want some books, actually, Daniel Pink's Drive is a really good one. Um, I'd probably start there. I'd, I'd be reading anything from. Uh, what's his name?
0: Sorry, I've got a mental blank.
1: I'll just start with Daniel Pink's Drive and anything around LLP uh, and those sorts
0: of hardware. What's your favourite apps and why?
1: Um, favourite apps is, is probably just iTunes because I like music. Uh, I like Shazam so I can and figure out what, what music is playing. Uh, and we've now got um, – the other one is Baby Week, so I'm a new father – I have no idea what's going on with my son, uh, and that is sort of a really good one for me to decode where he's actually up to in
0: his development. Do you have any daily rituals that set you on the right path for a successful day? Uh, my number one ritual is waking up early uh, before everyone else is awake,
1: grabbing a coffee, sitting down, and writing in my diary. Uh, that, that is my number one ritual. It clears the head, it gets you focused, uh, and it, it allows you to take the jumbles
0: of things in your head and actually put it down in, in a way that's very concise. What recommendations do you have for people wanting a career in digital transformation? Similar to what I asked before, but anything you want to add?
1: No, it's arm it's, yourself with uh, the thinking, like I said, design thinking, uh, lean startup, and then get into the doing. I think that's the most important thing. If you could redo anything in your career, what would it be? I'd probably uh, focus, I'd do a course on accounting. Uh, the more... I'm in business, the more i I get the, 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 the numbers are the things that people pay the most attention to. So um, being, being literate in that sense I think is incredibly important and it's something that I've struggled with. So I think getting that done early uh, would have set me up for, for, for
0: um, an easier path going forward. Who do you recommend as a guest for the podcast in the future?
1: It's, it's a little bit of a left-field one, but there's a guy called Meow Meow, meow Disco Ludo. Uh, who it's not his not his original name, but it is his real name now. Uh, who is is really big in the biohacking movement, uh, and what we're seeing in that space particularly is the is the coalescence of uh, tech trends with um, emerging biology and the um, democratization of, of um, research in the in the biological space. He is probably one of the most fascinating people I've ever met, and he's doing some of the most exciting work I've ever seen. So. I think uh, the biohacking movement, if you've not checked it out, I think it is it is going to be one of the biggest, most important movements over the next decade.
0: Scott, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Before you go, if people want to follow you online, where can they find you?
1: So I'm on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, I think it's under Scott Ward. Uh, the other way is Twitter, which is Wardsco, W-A-R-D-S-C-O.
0: This has been a Dynamics 365 podcast focusing on the ingredients of successful Dynamics 365 practice. Your host was business solution MVP Mark Smith, otherwise known as NZ365Guy. For more information on this interview, show notes, feedback, and resources mentioned, or if you know someone who would be a great guest for future episodes, please go to nz365guy.com forward slash podcast and leave me a message. Also, check out other great Dynamics 365 podcasts on CRM Audio like the following. Hi, Matt, how are you? Great, Britta. How about you? I'm looking forward to our next chance to talk about Dynamics 365. Oh, you mean Implement This, where we spend 20 to 30 minutes discussing how to implement this or that inside of Dynamics? Exactly. But where do the topics come from? From listeners, or projects we've been working on, or conversations we've had recently. Let's stop recording this promo and do an episode right now. Sounds good. And if you're interested, you can submit a question and hear answers to others at implementthis.org or at crm.audio.